I wonder if you're in a job with a uh, regular performance review. Uh, how well you're working is assessed by managers over you and hopefully your work is compared to some clear standards or goals. Now the whole point of it is, uh, is, is, not to, is so that you can do your job better, to make sure uh, that you're aiming at the right sort of targets and achieving them. Uh, if you're a student, you're used to that type of uh, schedule, you get, you get regular assignments and exams and quizzes. Uh, when you know they're coming, you can prepare beforehand for them. You can look at what questions will be asked and you can make sure you are doing those things. But what about if you don't know it's coming? If it's unexpected, if there's a surprise inspection or a spot quiz, how can you avoid being caught out? How can you make sure you pass the test? Well, the only way to be sure is to make sure you are always doing your job. Uh, that you're consistent and reliable and diligent. And it's like that for us as Christians, as we wait for Jesus' return, for Judgment Day, uh, because that'll be our most important and final performance review, not just of our employment, but of our whole life, of our actions and words and our thoughts as well. So are you ready for whenever he comes? What it means is doing the things Jesus wants diligently, reliably, consistently. That's the point of that little parable Jesus tells at the end of the chapter. A man goes away, leaves his house, puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch. Everyone has a different job. Uh, the master has assigned it to them. Uh, they're not to be worried about when he returns because whenever he does return, they'll be ready. They're, they're busy doing their work. And what it doesn't mean is focusing on trying to work out when he'll get back and looking for the signs. Now, that's what you might think after we've read Mark chapter 13. It's got lots of confusing detail uh, describing future events. And it's just tempting to, to try and pin those to, to certain uh, things that have happened or will happen. Uh, is Jesus talking about the next couple of months of his life, of his death and resurrection and ascension? Or is he talking about 40 years into the future, uh, the destruction of the temple? Is he talking about his return on, at Judgment Day, sometime still in the future? Now, now the temptation is for us to try and focus on the details and try and work out the when. But then the mistake is we actually miss his commands, his instructions. Did you notice them? Do you notice how often he says, watch out, be ready? Just skim through the chapter with me. It begins in verse 5, watch out, no one deceives you. Verse 9, be on your guard. Verse 13, stand firm to the end. Verse 21, don't be deceived. Verse 23, be on your guard. Verse 33, be on your guard. Be alert. You don't know when the time will come. Verse 35, keep watch. And then finally, verse 37, what I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Now, it's obvious when you look at it, that's the main point Jesus wants to get across. 
especially when he finishes with that little parable that we just read at verse 34. Uh, the, the man who goes away and leaves his servants in charge and tells the one at the door to keep watch. And then keep watch. Uh, you don't know when the owner of the house will come back. Jesus is going away. He leaves his servants with work to do. He leaves his disciples. He leaves us. And that's the way we're to be ready for his return, to be doing the work he's assigned us. We're not to be distracted. We're to keep watch. We're to keep performing as if our performance review will be tomorrow. And notice it's a word for us as well as the disciples. Right at the end of the chapter, what I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. So this chapter, it's really a set of instructions about how to do your job. There are some details about what will happen and when it might happen, but it's mostly uh, about doing uh, the instructions that you're to do while you wait. So let's not let the description distract us from the prescription, from the commands. Whatever event or events Jesus has in mind, the message is clear. Be ready. Be on your guard. So keep that in mind. Let's, but let's jump back to the beginning of the chapter and, and work our way through. And can I just say, it, it really is one of the most difficult chapters in the whole Bible. So this is my view. I, I think I've made a few breakthroughs that I hadn't noticed before. But like almost every commentator that writes on this chapter says, this is really tricky. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, no, no one's really definitive. Uh, So verse 1, Jesus and his disciples are leaving the temple for what will be the last time. The disciples want to point out how solid the temple is, how impressive it is. It's something to to rejoice in. But verse 2, instead, Jesus says, not one stone will be left on another. The whole thing will be destroyed. He's already hinted at it. He's cleared out the temple. He's warned the people about the leaders of the temple who are more interested in impressing people than obeying God. He's cursed the fig tree as a sign of God's judgment. But now he says it most clearly, the temple will be destroyed. And so verse 4, the disciples ask him, when? And what will be the sign that these things, these things are about to happen? Uh, That little phrase, these things, is important. It's I think it's the events to do with the destruction of the temple. And so the rest of chapter 13 is Jesus' answer to those two questions of the disciples. So whatever else Jesus talks about, most obviously, a significant part of it is to do with when the temple will be destroyed and the signs that will go with that. So just keep that in mind. But straight away, Jesus seems to answer a different question. He he seems more interested in making sure the disciples are ready rather than directly answering their question. So verse 5, he says, Watch out that no one deceives you. The context is, don't be tricked into thinking that the end has come when it's not actually the end. Even if people come and say, I'm the one, I'm here, don't be deceived. Or verse 7, even when there are wars, the end is still to come. It's not the end just because it's a war. Or even verse 8, earthquakes and famines. They might be terrible, but they're not the end either. Don't be deceived into thinking that the end has come. 
He says, verse 8, they're just the beginnings of birth pains. It's like that uh, the lady who's about to have a baby and she feels the first pains of birth, of, of labour coming on and uh, she and, uh, and her husband rush off to the hospital and they expect the baby's going to come any moment and the, uh, the, the midwife says, well, it's only just beginning. You've probably got another day <laughs> or more. And it's like that here in verse 8. Terrible times, but it's not the end. There's more to come. And Jesus is saying that the normal, our normal experience is that life's going to be difficult. Our normal experience is that wars, disasters will come and go, but that doesn't mean it's the end. It doesn't, doesn't mean it's Judgment Day. They're just the regular labour pains of living in this world. Don't be deceived, he says. The Christian life is not about your comfort and your peace. Don't assume, don't expect, life is going to be smooth. Jesus says it. It wasn't for Jesus, and he promises it won't be the same for you either. He said it back in chapter 8, verse 34. If anyone would come after me, he has to deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save it. The ordinary Christian life is about difficulty and self-denial. You're not going to get to the new life of eternity without labour pains first. And the labour could be long. Don't be surprised, don't be disappointed when life turns out to be tough. Jesus continues, those labour pains will include arrest and persecution, at least for the disciples. Verse 9, be on your guard against that as well. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Just a word on that word for first there it can mean uh, in terms of time prior uh, so the gospel must pro- must be preached prior to my return and some people interpret it that way but can also just as easily mean primarily or of first importance uh, so your priority will be that the gospel is preached and I think that's a good way to take that here now verses 9 and 10 I think are describing what the book of Acts describes Within 5, 10, 15 years of Jesus' uh, resurrection and ascension, the apostles spread out through the known world. They preached the gospel. They appeared before councils and synagogues. They were arrested and beaten. And the gospel was preached. The Holy Spirit was with them, guiding them, guarding them, uh, equipping them. He continues verse 12. There'll be tough times. You'll be betrayed by family. Uh, That's how tough it'll be. Some will even be executed. Once again, stand firm to the end and you'll be saved. Now, all of that's within the medium-term future, within the lifetime of the disciples, but still uh, prior to the temple being destroyed. He hasn't specifically addressed that question yet, I don't think. 
Verse 4, the question was, when will it be destroyed and what will be the sign that these things are about to happen? Now, I think verse 14, Jesus returns to to actually addressing those questions. Uh, Look at verse 14. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Something terrible is going to happen, says Jesus. It's going to happen in a place where it doesn't belong. Now, when that happens, you know it's time to run. It's not a time for standing firm then. Once that happens, that's the time to run. The temple's about to be destroyed. When you see that thing happening, get ready. Get out of Jerusalem. Now, that phrase, the abomination that causes desolation, different translations can translate it quite differently. But it's a quote from the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9 and 11 and 12. And it describes something terrible that happens in the temple. Uh, Now most of the Jews in Jesus' day saw its fulfilment as uh, as having happened about 200 years prior to Jesus, about 163 BC. uh, When the, the the conquering Greek king Antiochus Epiphanes erected an altar in the temple and sacrificed a pig on it, deliberately offensive to the Jews. But Jesus here in verse 14 is saying, Daniel's words weren't just fulfilled back then. Let the reader understand there's going to be another fulfilment. The reader of Daniel, there's going to be another fulfilment of that prophecy. There will be another terrible thing that happens in the temple. And it'll be a sign that it's about to be destroyed. Now, there's different opinions about what that actually was. Uh, Some say that the surrounding Roman armies leading up to AD 70 uh, did various things that were offensive. Uh, But the Jewish historian Josephus makes a different connection. And I wonder if this isn't more what Jesus is thinking about and whether it doesn't fit his criticism of the Jewish leadership. Uh, The year's about 67 AD, as Josephus, the historian, is uh, is writing, uh, and he describes uh, the the Jewish zealots, who were the uh, rebels, uh, the Jewish rebels fighting the Romans. And they were storming through the temple, and they were murdering and raping and and abusing um, the, the temple and its rules, and they were not respecting God. Uh, And uh, Josephus quotes Ananus, who was a high priest, a a former high priest, uh, who despairs at the evil that was going on in the temple. And here's what he says about it. Certainly it, it had been good for me to die before I had seen the house of God full of so many abominations, or these sacred places that ought not to be trodden upon at random, filled with the feet of these blood-shedding villains. Now, he's actually describing Jews who are fighting the Romans, but uh, they're just godless law-breaking. It's the sort of thing I think Jesus was angry about when he cleaned out the money changers from the temple. People with no interest in God using the temple for their own ends. Perhaps that's what Jesus is thinking of here. But his point uh, will be... When, when that thing happens, when you see that terrible thing happening in the temple, 
then you know it's time to clear out. The temple's about to be destroyed. Uh, He goes on, by the end of the siege, things will be so bad, verse 19, nothing before or after will compare to how bad those times will be in Jerusalem, never to be equaled again. Uh, Now, Josephus actually describes uh, in in quite uh, gut-wrenching detail um, some of the thing, what happened because of the starvation of, uh, inside Jerusalem with the Roman siege. Uh, people doing horrendous things to one another, Jew to Jew. Uh, and then he concludes, uh, having described for a number of pages uh, the atrocities inside Jerusalem. It's therefore impossible to go distinctly over every instance of these men's iniquity. I shall therefore speak my mind here at once briefly that neither did any other city ever ever suffer such miseries, nor did any age ever breed a generation more fruitful in wickedness than this was from the beginning of the world. Uh, It was a terrible time. Uh, It's no wonder Jesus warned the people uh, to get out out of Jerusalem. Finally, in August AD 70, the Romans broke through the walls. They set everything on fire, including the temple, and then the soldiers pulled the stonework to the ground, just as as Jesus had said. Well, from verse 21, uh, there's another warning from Jesus. Uh, People will claim that they are the Christ. If they do claim that they're the Christ, don't believe it. They'll even do miracles, but don't believe it. Uh, There will be terrible times. The fact that there are terrible times doesn't mean that it's the end of time. And so once again, Jesus says, be on your guard. Don't be tricked by false Christs. Instead, he moves on to verse 24. This is what that day will really be like. I think this is what he's doing here. Verse 24 Uh, Prior to verse 24, he talks about false Christs who are appearing when the temple is being destroyed, when the Romans are fighting the Jews. But don't be fooled by that. And then he goes on to say what it will be like when the real Christ appears from verse 24. Uh, Verse 24 is a contrast with what's just come before. But in those days, following that distress... So I think he's saying following the temple... Uh, there, there will be, this is what it will be like when Christ does return. The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time men will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Uh, there's two prophetic quotes. Uh, Uh, There's one from Isaiah 13 about what the day of the Lord will be like. That's the one that talks about the heavens, um, the sky darkening, the sun and the moon, stars falling from the sky. Uh, Creation itself will tremble when Jesus returns, the day of the Lord. And then he quotes Daniel chapter 7, uh, probably Jesus' favourite passage about when the Son of Man comes before the Ancient of Days... Uh, before God in heaven and and God gives him authority over everything and he's given a kingdom that will never be destroyed and his kingdom will include people from all nations and languages and they'll worship him 
So that's Daniel 7, and, and Jesus uh, refers to that, and he, uh, he quotes it, and he says, At that time, at the end of time, the Son of Man will come in the clouds, he will send his angels to gather his elect, to gather the people uh, who have uh, heard the gospel and responded to it, and they will be gathered because they're going to worship him, all nations and languages. Then from verse 28, I think he switches gear again. So I think 24 to 27 is this little bracketed bit about the end of time. And then from 28, I think he returns to the question about uh, the temple and when these things will happen. Uh, He says, learn the lesson from the fig tree. Uh, When leaves appear, summer's coming. Uh, So he's saying, look for the signs that I'm telling you about. Uh, Verse 30, he says it it will be soon. This generation won't pass away until all these things happen, these things to do with the temple being destroyed, rather than to do with Jesus' return. This generation won't pass away before the temple is destroyed, but then he says heaven and earth will pass away. This generation won't pass away before the temple, heaven and earth will pass away, some time into the future. Uh, Verse 32, uh, even Jesus doesn't know when that will be. He he knows lots of things about the temple, but about that other time when he returns, he doesn't know that day yet. And so once again, he comes to the command, be on guard, be alert, because you don't know the time. I don't know the time, you don't know the time. And then he comes to that little parable that we began with about the man who goes away and leaves his servants in charge while he's away. And there's this little detail that I think is quite significant for us, each with his assigned task. Therefore, verse 35, keep watch. You don't know when he'll come back. And he gives us these four periods of time. He says the the owner could come back in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. Don't let the master find you sleeping. And finally he gives a hint that he's thinking about uh, followers beyond just his disciples who are listening. He says, what I say to you, I say to everyone, watch, take notice. So that's his message, that's the chapter. Uh, Now as we move out beyond chapter 13, chapter 14 and 15, we look at the description of his arrest and his crucifixion and his resurrection, I wonder if Mark isn't doing something uh, quite special here, whether he's reinforcing Jesus' warning for the disciples to keep watch, to not be asleep. Uh, Because the disciples don't keep watch and they do fall asleep. And and Mark has a, a different... Uh, audience. He, his audience are his readers and I wonder if he's not saying to his readers don't be like the disciples who fell asleep. I think that's what he's doing with verse 35 where, with those four time indicators. Do, do you remember, remember what they were? In the evening, midnight, when the rooster crows and at dawn. Do, do they sound familiar? If we keep reading we find them again. Mark makes sure to include those little time references, uh, chapter 14, verse 17, 
Uh, so there's the four time signatures. Chapter 14, verse 17, Jesus arrives for the Passover uh, when evening came. Uh, a little bit later in verse 34, uh, they head to the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus tells his disciples to keep watch, but they don't keep watch, they actually fall asleep. Uh, and there in verse 38, they're told to watch. Uh, he's arrested. Uh, all the disciples run away except for Peter. Peter follows Jesus to the courtyard where the high priest is and Peter denies Jesus three times and in verse 72, the rooster crows. Uh, there's our third time period. And then finally, chapter 15, verse 1, we're told very early in the morning, with no disciples left, uh, the Jewish leaders reach their decision and hand Jesus over. Jesus commands his disciples to watch out for whenever the master will return, in the evening, at midnight, when the rooster crows, or in the morning. And they don't. They don't keep watch, they don't stay, they run away, they fall asleep. But Jesus commands us to watch out. What I say to you, I say to everyone. And I think Mark is saying to us, don't be like them. And so while we wait for Jesus, whenever he comes back at whichever time, uh, we need to be doing the work that he's given us to do. We're not to be found sleeping. We're to take up our cross. We're to follow him. We're to die to ourselves, so that we might live, uh, to lose our life for his sake and for the gospel. Uh, it won't be easy, he says in this chapter, you will be persecuted. But don't worry, he says, because the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say and the courage to say them. It won't be easy, he says. You can expect suffering and hatred and persecution. Be on your guard. But don't be surprised. He who stands firm to the end will be saved. Heaven and earth will pass away, but Jesus' words will never pass away. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there's much about this chapter that we're uncertain about, I guess, but uh, your commands are clear. We're to watch, uh, we're to be doing the work that you've given us to do. Please help us to trust you, to be courageous. We pray for the help of your Holy Spirit to take your gospel to the world, the world uh, who needs to, to know Jesus. And we pray that we might be found faithful that we might keep each other uh, so that none fall away for the honour and glory of Jesus. Amen.